I had a jolt at like beginning of November in the middle of the night and I thought, (laughs) taxes? Your spidey senses were tingling. (laughs) Welcome back, rich girls and boys, to the Rich Girl Roundup weekly discussion of the Money with Katie show. I'm your host, Katie Gaddy Tossan, and every Monday we're going to dig into an interesting money debate or dialogue. But before we do, here's a quick message from the sponsors of this segment. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, before we get into it, this week's upcoming main episode is a solo jam on investing outside of your retirement accounts. I know, please hold your applause. It's very sexy, very exciting, but we're going to talk about why we do it, how to think about it, and some common pitfalls that you might encounter. Okay, on to the roundup. Hannah, how's it going? Good. This week's question is for me. Oh, yeah, so here excited. we go. The question is, and I'll give some context, is it better to owe taxes or get a refund from the boys at the IRS at tax time? And how can I break even? Mm, Because several years ago, your girl, more like your girl's husband, um, incorrectly filled out a tax form. And then I had a jolt at like beginning of November in the middle of the night. And I thought... (laughs) taxes and I went it was like 4 30 in the morning and for your some reason, spidey like, senses were tingling I don't know why but I'm really glad they did so funny so I logged into the IRS calculator thing and I put everything in and I was like oh you're gonna owe eight thousand eight hundred dollars and I was like huh and what we then did was like frantically try to adjust me and my husband's taxes to take out the max and then some to kind of recuperate a little bit. And then we still ended up with like a $5,000 tax bill. Mm. So then we started looking into like, what are the retirement accounts I can try to set up to lower this even more? Mm -hmm. Um, And then in other years, like this past year, because I was so nervous that it would happen again, I got like a 5,000 plus refund. And I don't know that there's any one right answer, but I wanted to get your thoughts on one what's your kind of like school of thought on this? And two, how do I do this so I can mostly break even? You're just, you're shooting blanks. Okay. So I think there are two primary schools of thought. The first is like, oh, it's better to owe a little bit because it means you did not give the government an interest-free loan. Yeah, Yeah. And I think in that same vein, the tendency that people have to treat a refund when they get it, like, oh, it's free money or it's found money. You could just at me next time. Oh, my God. saying people. No, you don't do that. You don't do that. But it I often, totally did do that this year. Psychologically, it leads you to spending it like it's a bonus versus recognizing that this is just your own paycheck money that you are working for that has just been withheld from you. Mm-hmm. So that's one school of thought. The other is that it's better to get a refund because it's a bit of a forced savings device and it allows the average family Mm. to get a big cash infusion that they have inadvertently saved throughout the year, albeit without earning a yield, to be fair. So I think it's one of those areas of finance where 
you're kind of up against what does the math say is the correct thing to do, which would be you don't want a refund because you would rather have the money up front so you can invest it and put it to work for yourself versus what's actually going to happen in practice. And if that is a family's only savings throughout the year, they don't manage to save anything else and then get a big refund, well, it's probably a good thing that they overpaid in taxes because now they actually have some cash. But I don't know that that's like a situation mm -hmm. to aspire to, if that makes sense. I think ideally you are in a little bit more control of your money than that. So I'd say those are the two kind of schools of thought. It sounds like you lean more toward, and understandably so, I'd rather be getting something back than being surprised with a bill. Yes? Yeah. I mean, for me personally, the thing I don't ever want to have to deal with again is that big of a tax bill. Mm -hmm. The, you know, secondary benefit is that then I get the money and I could invest it over time rather than letting it sit with the IRS for a year. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would lean towards. But as close as breaking even as we can get right, feels like, right. is that possible? How do I do it? Well, I agree. I think that that's the goal is to get it as close to net zero where you're either owing or getting back just a little bit. Like you are mm -hmm. basically paying your perfect tax bill throughout the year. And obviously you want to try to get it as low as possible if you're talking about just the personal incentives of good tax planning and tax efficiencies. So I wouldn't say my own experiences with this have been intentional, so to speak, but I almost always owe money. So... Maybe I shouldn't have asked this question. Yeah. Anyone else, any other personal finance expert want to want to chime in? Here's my my Cliff's notes, but I do think that they, that they are illustrative, so I'm going to share them. In 2021, I owed about $5,000 because I had incorrectly filled out my W4 at the Cycle Studio where I taught. So in the W4, I did not tell it I had other income, so they were basically withholding taxes as though that was my only income for the year, and it was oh. a lot less than my full-time right. income. So I owed 5,000. Although in that instance, the way that I ended up lowering the bill from something else down to 5,000 was I maxed out my HSA, which I had not done yet. Mm. And I contributed to a SEP IRA, which I had to open and fund in the March before that April. So those are accounts that I think in the case of the HSA, at least. If it's open the previous year, you can contribute retroactively to it for the previous year. So there are a few that work that way. Right. But at least you you had the fund set aside to fund those extra things so that you could negate that tax bill. Right. Right. I, I mean, if you have no money set aside, you obviously are not going to be able to invest to lower the bill, but you're also, I would assume, have a hard time paying the bill too. So it's a bad situation mm -hmm. to be in if you don't have savings. But I think in that case, I just rerouted some incoming funds that probably would have just gone into a brokerage account into the HSA instead or into the SEP IRA instead retroactively for the previous year to lower the bill. Um, gotcha. That was a little bit harder in 2022 and 2023. Because in 22, I owed 40000 because I hadn't filed quarterly taxes with Money with Katie income that I was earning on the side throughout 2021. Oops. And I was only paying taxes on my W-2 jobs. Though, crucially, I did not face a penalty because I had paid enough of my tax burden such that I didn't end up owing extra money, which is, I think it's as long as you paid 100% 
it's 100% of the previous year first up to a certain income and then 110% above a certain income. He's like mm. 120,000. Once you start getting into the six figure range, I think you have to have paid 110% of your previous year's tax liability, but then you still would not face a penalty, I don't believe. So I didn't end up having one. And then in 23, I owed like 50 grand for the same reason as I owed 40 in 22. But importantly, although it is never fun to pay tens of thousands of dollars at once, in both cases, I knew the tax bomb was coming because I knew I was not paying the taxes on that side money. So I intentionally was setting aside a lot of cash in Q4 of those years, you know, both mm -hmm. times rather than investing it or doing something else with it because I knew I was going to need it in April to pay that tax bill. I did talk to my CPA about an S-corp because I know that okay. this is very popular for people that have LLCs or for people that are running solopreneur style businesses, but he recommended against it. And I actually pulled the email because I was curious to remind myself. He said, the main reason for electing S-Corp status is so that you can take a limited amount as payroll subject to payroll taxes and let the rest flow out only subject to income taxes. However, I don't lean toward them, some accountants do, because of the extra scrutiny they subject you to, because some people do not take out enough as salary and subject themselves to additional taxes and penalties if looked at by the IRS. So so just wanted to address that because I know some people that may be facing big tax bills because they have side hustles or 1099 businesses or what have you. The S-Corp is like a very popular recommendation yeah. online. Yeah. And so I wanted to include why I didn't end up doing that. Yeah, I remember you and I talked a little bit about a SEP IRA at some point because you're like, oh, I know you have a side hustle. And there was like <laughs> a very specific reason I didn't end up doing it. But it's good to kind of keep all these other things in your back pocket. You've gone through this a couple of times now. So what has been your approach now in recent years? If you know that you're on W-2 status, you know you're married, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Well, my personal philosophy, I think, has always leaned more toward I'm okay with owing, but mm -hmm. for the reason that when I'm using Tax Act and putting all my W-2 or Schedule K income, Schedule K being what I'm using to report money with Katie independent income associated with the LLC or me alone and not the broader Morning Brew owned business, mm -hmm. I can see how much I owe, which then allows me to make more informed choices about things like additional contributions to a solo 401k to lower my tax liability. Or I think I used to use a SEP IRA. I now use the solo 401k just because it is not that it's easier, but that it it tends to create fewer issues for other things like backdoor Roth IRA or... I think that was the reason I didn't do the SEP right. IRA. And I don't think I qualified yes, as... Yes, I know you referenced that. Yeah. My question was when you're doing this and you log in a tax act, are you doing it at a certain time of year or you just kind of go in whenever and you're like, oh, that's what I'm projected to... Oh, good question. Well, usually I can't do it until February because I don't have a W-2 or my 1099 NECs, the like non-employee compensation forms. Mm -hmm. I don't have all of that until February. So I'll go in sometime in February, plug it all in, get the landscape of like, okay, this is what I owe. This is what I'm declaring as side hustle income. So I know I can contribute up to 25% of my net business income to a solo 401k or to a SEP IRA to wipe that off the table. But really, I mean, if you're tracking it throughout the year, you have the option to, to be doing any sort of business expenses. Like if you're at the end of the year and you know, okay, I have a big tax bill coming, I also need to invest in the business in some way. So instead, I'm going to 
I'm going to buy new equipment or I'm going to hire mm-hmm. some contractors to do some work for me at the end of the year so I can write off that income and lower that tax bill. So theoretically, like if you own a small business and you're trying to do that at the end of the year, it's probably preferable. But in my case, I typically will just look in February. I think though, if you're trying to reach that net zero point, the best way to do it is to just accurately fill out your W-4s. So even though- I mean, I thought we did. Like we changed it, you know, and then we kind of went through the whole process again. But it, the whole. So, do you know what went wrong? Would you know what you had filled out incorrectly the first time or why you were owing 8000 Yeah. So, I guess it was kind of twofold. One was that we had moved, and so the, like, the tax rates had changed based on our moving across different states. It was like a small amount there, but then the big thing was that we had put married on our W-4, and so we got like the maximum money back. But then I had the side hustle that I was doing. And then my husband got severance from somewhere that from the previous job that had also put married. So basically was not withholding enough. Right. So then the last two years we've been putting single. So it takes the maximum out every time. So we don't ever feel like, oh, we're going to have to owe. And that has worked out well. The only thing is that obviously we're taking way less home throughout the year. And then we Mm -hmm. get a nice surprise in, in February, March. But I was curious, like outside of me waking up and being like, taxes, like my tax number is wrong. Was there a type of, you know, process where you would like go to the IRS calculator once a quarter and say, this is what you're on track to owe Mm. versus not. And then like adjusting from there. No, I probably would not recommend anyone's recalculating this on a quarterly basis. That's probably overkill because I don't Mm -hmm. think having a net zero tax bill is that big of a deal. The bottom line, I think, is that the IRS is looking at, assuming you are married filing jointly, your household income as just one lump sum, right? And they might be taxing some of it differently if it is 1099 self-employment income, because in that case, you're also paying self-employment taxes. You're paying both sides of the payroll tax for the self-employment income in addition to your federal and state tax liability. But it's looking at everything holistically. So if he got severance that was untaxed, that is probably hard to account for. I would just in that case probably have said, okay, we know we are going to be responsible for the, you know, to pay probably 25% of this back. So we got to set that aside. And then for your side hustle income, you can account for that in a W-4, I think in section 4C, where you can elect to have extra income withheld based on income that Mm -hmm. you're getting from another source. They can take more taxes out of your W-2 income to kind of make up for the fact that you have income coming from somewhere else, and then you're not having to file quarterly taxes on that side hustle income. So I would say that's probably the best way to get an accurate read, as opposed to it sounds like what y'all are doing, which is telling on the W-4, I'm single, tax me as though I'm a single household earning this much. I think you probably would be better served just answering the form honestly and saying, I have a spouse who works and earns this much. Like that is going to be the more accurate outcome. To be fair to the IRS, I'm not doing it dishonestly. (laughs) Well, I think you'll have a better, I think your outcomes will be more accurate. You'll probably get closer to either like a small refund or a small bill than kind of treating it as though you've got two incomes that are being taxed separately. And, you know, if you want 
to, you can always go to the Smart Asset Income Tax Calculator, Mm -hmm. plug in your total gross income from all sources derived with your zip code into that calculator. You can put it in the show notes and it'll tell you your total tax liability based on the amounts you're bringing in, where you live, your filing status, though it might be potentially short 7.65% on the self-employment income in that total because it's only applying the employee half. It's it's only oh, doing yeah, the payroll taxes that point. you as an employee are paying, not the other half, so to speak, of the self-employment tax that you're probably paying. So if you have, we'll say, you know, 200,000 total between you and 50,000 of it is self-employment income, then 50K of that 200 is going to be exposed to an additional 7.65% that this calculator would not be telling you about because it's not thinking any of it is self-employment. Okay. That's super, super helpful. I really appreciate that. And yeah, then, good. well, I think given the chaos, so the last couple of years have been us moving. So we had to mm-hmm. file in different states. We got married. So our like marital status changed. We opened up new different retirement accounts because your girl started working here, mm-hmm. got our life together. So I think it's just been kind of a conundrum of like why we've never been able to nail it. What about other people that are also moving in across states like we have? Well, it's funny because I think checking, <laughs> I know this sounds so obvious, but like, have you tried Googling? <laughs> so there's this amazing website. It's called google.com. No, I'm just kidding. So let's say you live in Texas and you're mm-hmm. taking a job in California and you're moving to California, and they're like, hey, we're going to give you this amazing relocation package, and you're like, awesome. And then you get there, and you're like, oh my God, I have to pay 10 per... Like, going from a state that has no state income tax to a state that has high state income tax, you're really going to feel that. So I would say... I'm in the opposite boat now. So. I know, baby. You you went from the most expensive to like a more <laughs> the reasonable... The most expensive states ever to... And it's like I'm rolling Georgia. in it. Yeah, so there you go. That's the opposite is you might, you might experience the opposite someday. But I think if you're moving, checking that kind of thing ahead of time and factoring it into your decisions, it sounds obvious, but it... We're not talking about negligible numbers in some cases. What's Mm -hmm. the top marginal rate in California? Like 13%? Bro, I don't even know. I literally was just like, if I take home 50%, I'm happy. Right? So I think that you got to think about that. And I tend to just like that smart asset calculator where I'll I'll just go in there sometimes at the beginning of the year when I'm kind of doing my annual planning in January. And I never know how much we're going to make because it's so dependent on business income. But I'll just guess. Like, ah, I think Mm -hmm. it's going to be somewhere in this ballpark. Let me put that in to just see what is our effective tax rate? What percentage of every dollar are we keeping versus what are we paying? And then once I have a good sense for that, and you can use your previous year's tax return too as kind of a guide. There's actually a great episode we'll link in the show notes with, I think his name's Sean Mulvaney. He's known as like the FI tax guy, and he has a great interview on Choose FI about tax planning using your previous year's tax return that is really, really helpful and can kind of show you how that tax return can be a bit of a roadmap for like where you could have potential optimization. So we'll include that. Mm. But sometimes I'll, I'll use that time to like reassess we know where are we maybe missing opportunities, when is it potentially a good time to look at deductions that we haven't Mm -hmm. yet and do we think we're going to really owe or not so much? 
I mean, you built that tax smart investing bundle, which mm-hmm. I'm really excited about because I think that this is the first year that we can really optimize using that bundle to be like, totally. hey, historically you've had to also like, what's the best way to, to get ahead of that? Yeah. Cool. This was really helpful. I think I've used the smart asset calculator a couple of times and I find it really, really helpful as opposed to great. the IRS calculator, which is just like plugging in and hoping that it, it lands somewhere annually where you want it to. I mm-hmm. like that smart asset can tell you per paycheck how that affects you. So yeah, thank you. This is really helpful. Of course. I also think we didn't really talk about married filing jointly versus separately, mm-hmm. but I do think it's worth saying that I've never really understood why people file separately because the U.S. is like the only country where you get a tax break for being married. And so by filing... both of us got married for, for tax reasons? By filing s- separately, I made a joke about that in my vows. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to save me so much money. But um, anyway, so I looked into it because I was curious And according to Investopedia, there's one scenario in which married filing separately may be especially wise if you do not want to be liable for your spouse's taxes and suspect that they are hiding income or claiming deductions or credits falsely, so basically tax fraud, then filing separately is probably the best option because when you sign a joint return, you're basically legally saying we are both responsible for the accuracy of this return. So I'll be doing married filing single from now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Any tax liabilities or penalties that may apply then apply to both of you. So if you're assigning your own return instead, you're only responsible for the accuracy of that one. But in any case, we have the Tax Smart Investment Planner that Hannah referenced. It's a, a master class that we have that if you are kind of just getting started with Tax Smart Investing and you find yourself making more money and you're trying to see how the different filing statuses and or the different accounts that you could contribute to or have access to, how that could change your tax bill, where you might want to be investing, that is a good resource. So we'll link that in the show notes as well. I have to say up front, Katie did not ask me to bring up the bundle. It wasn't even a thing that came up, but I was like, oh, yeah, this is a thing that exists. So thank you. Amen. Thank you. All right. That is all for this week's Rich Girl Roundup. We'll see you on Wednesday, actually, to talk about investing (laughs) outside of your retirement accounts, aka non-tax advantaged investing. So you're getting it from all angles here on The Money with Katie Show. We love to see it. Bye. 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 